What's going on, everyone? My name is Bert. And I'm Fonz. And this is Bert and Fonz. Now, one thing that I know that we wanted to talk about today was this whole concept of, like, human association. And a common thread that kind of carries through almost everything in life, whether that be friendships or marriages or business, like just this idea that it kind of carries through everything. What, what, what do you... So, yeah, we, we were talking about this yeah, earlier. Yeah. So, yeah, we were just talking about how um, every human association has this element of partnership, obviously, whereby there's a value that's being transacted. So even right. if it's friendship, you know, the value might be stroking somebody's ego or protecting yourself or like common taste. So you, you have fun or you validate each other's opinions, that kind of stuff. It happens with marriage too. And uh, yeah. I think marriage is what the one... I think marriage is the one entity where people get more spiky in Western civilization if you remind them that it's What do you a mean, business. spiky? Well, because if you tell them marriage is a business proposition, a lot of people <laughs> might feel like the product, you know, or... Right. It feels like it takes the romance out of it, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Exactly. I think that's probably why we have such a high divorce rate, you know? And they do tell in Asian countries where they do prearranged marriages and we kind of like right. look, look down on it because it's kind of forced on people. Well, and it's just such a and foreign concept, especially, you know, like somebody who grew up here in the United States, like that just feels so oh, to me too. different. Well, to, to me, it just feels, I, I don't think anybody should be forced on prearranged marriage, but what I'm saying is kind of we underestimate also sure. that they're, they're also taking the cold look at it and like, are we going to get people that are more compatible with each other? So they're going to play out their partnership longer in life yeah, instead that makes sense. of like burning sense. out with one another when the thrill is gone, you know? Yeah. And uh, like I said, I, I, I saw that in an interview once and it shocked me at first because so, I, I got married for romance. But probably had I known, you know, <laughs> had I know now, maybe I would have been a little bit colder about like calculating what all the, you know, all the factors involved were. I mean, I wouldn't change it for the world because I have a lovely daughter out of it. Right, right. But it wasn't fun. And uh, and these guys did say, I think it was an, an Indian lady was talking to saying, you know, we have a lower incidence of divorce. Yeah. Because um, love can dissipate, but friendship can strengthen with people that are compatible. That makes a lot of sense, yeah. And we think, yeah, and we think about it in business a lot. We don't think about it in marriages or in other, or in friendships even, you know. Right, and I think a lot of that just stems from the fact that in a business setting, like, that's that's the only thing we're really forced to think about. And we take it almost for granted anywhere else in our life. Like, it just, we don't really think about it. Right. But if you think about it, like, you and I wouldn't be friends. If we didn't get something from the other one. Right. You know, and sure, we can make it all, you know, it's friendship. We like each other, we, but we have common tastes. We have things that we're interested in, you know. And, and I mean, so that's the whole reason we wanted to start doing this podcast. I think people would be a lot better off if we were thinking about the fact that this is an operation and yeah. it needs to work. Yeah, that makes sense. So are you saying that, you know, I'm just about to turn 30. I mean, I haven't been married yet. But there's still there's hope for me still to have a strong marriage <laughs> if I just take this into consideration with whomever it happens to be. I would actually say that it would be my hope that uh, there's even more hope for you now that you know the cold truth. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I am uh, I'm uh, woke to on. the truth. That's right. And the, I actually you know what here's the thing. I do think there's a lot of people that are more hip to that notion. Sure. I think there's a, an awful lot of us that are not because we get all this romance and romance is good. I, I mean, don't get me wrong. I like that. I like chemistry a lot. 
Mm-hmm. I like personal chemistry. I like personal chemistry in my relationships. You know, I like. Well, who romance. doesn't like personal chemistry? Right. I, I don't know. There's, there's enough for everything, but <laughs> <laughs> right. But I mean, hey, uh, don't you think it's? Uh, no, I agree, and I think especially, it, like with, if you're taking this to a degree where you're like thinking about it not as a business proposition, but it like solely based off of romance, right? And you have that initial spark, you have that connection, everything just kind of clicks into place, it feels great. And then over time, that just sort of dwindles. Like you get to know each other and it's exciting at first, but then you sort of like figure each other out. And there's not like, you look at across the table and you're like, I already know everything there is. Well, but so how do you keep that kind of going? But, but my point is like, and we confuse this with chemistry too, and I guess they're related, but you know, there's nothing wrong with figuring somebody out. The problem is if you figure some, so, okay, the problem, I knew somebody whose right. parents I met once and okay. she told me, she said they hate one another, but they have nowhere else to go. And I was like, really so that they much? felt like stuck in and that? She, very much so, but okay. she, and, and I don't think that's uncommon, but what she said that really hit me was uh, she's, I, I said how did they ever get to this and she said they she said they had a ton of sexual chemistry when that went away they discovered they had nothing to tell each other sure and that really just hit me you know I was like so they, they hadn't they hadn't bothered to find out you know just the sexual chemistry was so good which you know there's not, absolutely nothing wrong with that but they hadn't bothered to find out all the other stuff that actually plays a lot once you think about it, it's super obvious. Right. In, longe- in the jo- longevity of a long-term relationship, right? Right. There's the other forms of compatibility beyond all of that. Right. right. And, and I mean, like, so if we were going to translate that into business now, let's just say, you know, when you're working in a good business partnership, there has to be, that chemistry is a piece of it. Mm-hmm. Like, the two people have to get along. But what what would you say are, like, some of the other factors of that that really need to, like, mesh? Because for me personally... Like, a lot of it is personality type. And be, the fact that you can, like, relate to one, eno- one another and, like, feel comfortable around each that's other. That's exactly... Well, okay, but that, that that's more about pers- than personality type. So how fast does somebody else understand you? Right. How fast... How long does it take you guys to get to a quorum, to get to an agreement? Right. When you have a disagreement, how fast or how well do you negotiate that disagreement? All that stuff. And the communication associated with that. Right. And, you know, whether or not there's good communication even between the two people. Well, that's that's what I'm talking about. And we bucket that on chemistry, and we, we leave it at such broad strokes. Mm-hmm. I think with business, now that you bring that up, with business, we're a lot colder about that. We, right. we do think like, hey, uh, I don't get along. I like this guy, but I argue with him a lot, so I'm not going to go into a long-term partnership. We think about it a lot more cold or colder than when we're getting into, you know, into somebody, oh, she's really attractive. You know, my parents are going to really like, you know what I mean? Like you get right, a lot. Right, right, right. You're not thinking about the other stuff. It's a lot more duh, in my opinion, but we, we don't think about it as hard. And again, I do think that there are people that think it's true. I don't think it's my case. And the majority of the people that I've met <laughs> don't do that much. Um, although I do have friends that, that are in long-term committed relationships that have been very successful. I do. Right. Some of which have surprised me. <laughs> You're like, these two? Really? I, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Me and everybody else. I'm like, wow. But, you know, I guess they I guess they were compatible and we just didn't know, you know? Right, so, right, right. So it just takes all kinds. Like I said, it's it's not that it's business. And that's why I think people get spiky when you bring up the marriage. That it's makes that, sense. It's that it's a partnership. And I think that's, that's the key terminology to right. that. Is that it's about 
forming that partnership, that real kind of bond between the two people. And it's not, let me rephrase this. So I think that a lot of people don't understand that that partnership is also a key to a lot of these other associations Mm. throughout life, whether it be marriage or friendships or business. I mean, there's all different types that we can associate it to. Now, there's one in particular that I think is more relevant to you specifically than it would be to maybe a couple other folks, but that's specifically with bands. And I know that you've been in bands for a long period of time and have had to like go through these struggles with, you know, different bandmates or just figuring stuff out. Tell me a little more about what that association is like between you and bands and like the bands that you've been in because it's been what 20 years now that you've been doing i I was yeah well i haven't i haven't done it in a while but i did it for 20 years yeah um and uh no you're absolutely right that's actually spot on um and your question is how is that different and my answer is it's it is not it's the same thing it's a personal there's a partnership component right there's an operation that has to be successful and uh, and you with bands so there's bands that have a ton of chemistry but then don't work out because the partnership chemistry isn't there I don't know how to so there's musical chemistry I guess that's what I should say musical chemistry is a big one yeah so there's musical chemistry like this band so I, I had one band uh, I'm not going to mention their name because they don't deserve it and screw them <laughs> but it was a great band and we did a lot of good stuff that but, band cheers yes but you know um, so I'm, I'm going to make a comparison to one that's that's well known and that has a similar trait that I've heard of you know that would be Minor Threat Minor Threat okay yeah, so Minor Threat is a, um, a seminal hardcore punk band and uh, they were great but their com- their members didn't get along well I was going to say component because that's what we say in Spanish but uh, their members didn't get along well um, I don't know another one that comes to mind is the Eagles the first formation of the Eagles was one that I really liked because they were all singer-songwriters, every single last one of them. Right, right, right. And they were they wanted to do it on equal terms. They wanted to do, like, everybody makes a song and then everybody else just... Like, but then there was this big excision between Don Hanley and Glenn Fry and so Bernie Lennon and um, Randy and then later Don... So they just, you know, and that it's too bad because their, their musical chemistry was really good, but their personal chemistry was really bad. Um, there's other bands where maybe the music isn't as brilliant, but the friendship is really good. And I think that what really, so a, a perfect example that I can think of right now of a very well-known band that is perfect. Like still together and still does all not this stuff. St- no, not still together, but legendary in how they got along, even when they didn't get along. Sure. Would be the Beatles. Okay. So, the, yeah. Yeah, tell me more about that. Uh, so a great example is their drummer. They just kept kept looking and kept looking until they found Ringo Starr. And there's like right, a famous right. fiasco where they didn't really handle to their own reckoning the sacking of Pete Best all that good. Mm-hmm. They weren't very elegant about that. But the truth is they did want a certain drummer and once they got it, everything clicked. Right. And even when they did get split up because they ended up kind of tired of the Beatle thing and they kind of had a couple of feuds amongst themselves, they still kind of went back. So there was this chemistry. They would go back. You, you would see them in interviews going. So um, famously, John Lennon and Paul McCartney wrote a couple of songs like dinging each other. Mm-hmm. And then they would be interviewed, you know, like um, the press was ch- just trying to dig for blood. Yeah. And they'd be like, no, I, I love Paul. You know, they would just always end up in, and they genuinely... You, so they would be like, here's my grievance, and then they would try to dig into it. They're like, no, 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 don't get me wrong. Like, right. I, I really do have great appreciation, respect for this individual. Right, right. Well, and, and they love each other. They're friends. They, they were never, they're never going to stop. Another one that I saw, I think, was a, a press round with the police 10 years ago, I think. 
Really? If you guys know the police, the police, the, uh, the band, the, the police. police, yeah. yeah. Uh, and these guys have been through hell and, and back with each, each other. You know, <laughs> yeah. they're three yeah. big egos. You know, especially the drummer and, and the and the bass player, right? Sting and Stuart Copeland, right? But you know, Andy Summers is a huge person. He's a, and you know, and and you can tell that they get on each other's nerves. Like a long term marriage, they do get on each other's nerves. And they even released, I think they they did a reunion after a bunch of years, and they released the rehearsals and how they bitch at each other on the rehearsals. It's really funny. That's gonna be fucking cover of Modern Drummer magazine. Is gonna be fucking the de- but then they're in the press in the in the press conference and they're going like uh, I'm always gonna be in the band with these two guys, whether I want to or not. I right. Mean, these guys are my band and you know, and they kinda love each other. And the same was true with the Beatles. It's not true with other bands. Like you see Don like, Henley and he never mentions, you know, Don Felder or you know, he just never talked about Would it. you say that that holds true or untrue for your past band experiences? Well, like, it depends on the band. It holds very true with a couple but, of them, yeah. But uh, do you feel like there was definitely those connections where you felt like, okay, this this whole partnership just works well with these individuals? Like, are there still members of those bands in the past? You're like, this person, like, I'm always going to be mm-hmm. in a band with them, essentially. Oh, absolutely. There's, there's, right, there, right. In fact, there is one band. And I have a, a, a band now with some friends that when I go back to Spain... Right. We'll get together and we'll do stuff every once in a while. And they have their own band, so they're musicians in other bands, but they have done me the, the honor of making a little band for me for when I go there. And then sometimes so like an invitation back to like when you come back, this is always yeah, something we're going to do. They're my band and I can play with them anytime. And That's they're, awesome. They're younger. That's, That's awesome. really cool. Um, but no, but just to answer your question, like when I was young, I had no clue about any of this. Mm-hmm. And that goes back to the marriage thing too, you know. I just didn't know. I, I was going for friendship and um, chemistry. Right. So when the when there was treason or betrayal, which happens in human relationships, when there was envy or crap like that, I just handled it poorly, you know. Right, right, we just, right. We all did, and I wasn't. I'm conscious about it now. So a couple of there's one band in particular that we used to play. You know, we play like old rock and rhythm and blues and blues ballads. Blues, blues really? ballads, blues standards. Sorry, yeah, blue stuff. Yeah, a lot. okay, okay. And uh, and that those guys will always be my band. They're, they also happen to be my friend in other aspects of life. So it's great. So to th- go those with, those connections have carried on beyond band. Yeah, and, and not only that. that. So so that's why I was I was kind of trying to answer your question with that because yeah yeah we used to fight more when we were younger, but now as older guys we come back and it's great because like the rehearsals are a lot more you know. We, we focus on the music a lot more. There's not no feuds. There's no ego friction. There's a lot of joking going on, so it's kind of cool. It's a lot healthier. Right. So you can tell the wisdom of the human relationships is finally right. clicked, you know? <laughs> because back then, we were st- we were friends. Like, uh, what, that band, we used to be together in the 90s. And, and we were really good friends, but we would fight a lot. Mm-hmm. A lot, you know, and now it's like, you know, we just joke around in the rehearsing room and we just have a lot of fun. So, so I think you learn over time. Well, that's good to know. I mean, I still, I feel like I have a lot of learning left to do still on a couple of those things, but it's good to know, like, I think. I mean, we all, I still do too. Just, <laughs> you know, let's, let's be fair here. Right. But, but you know, my own kind of like spin on that personally is just that, you know, I haven't 
I mean, I've been in bands, but it was like school bands or anything. I, I never had like a band you, or anything. Hold on a second. You, he was, he, you're a real musician, though. I am. Because well, I played in bands for like years <laughs> and stuff, but you, you've studied and you, you have a... I did. I did, yes. Um, I had some formal training back in the day, but before we get to that, there's one other thing I want to talk about, um, and that was just like my own association with all of this stuff. Okay. And um, I mean, the only thing that I can relate to that, honestly, is um, with college for me. Mm-hmm. Like and that those friendships and people that I met during college, like a lot of that seemed there was a lot of competition and everything. Yeah. And then you develop some of those friendships, and then you know I'm sure anyone who has you know gone to college or high school or anything, so you have like these friends. We're like, no, we're totally gonna meet up after this. You know, we're totally gonna get Forever. together, <laughs> right? Yeah. 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 And then you just never hear from them again. Right, right. Because yeah. <laughs> people get busy and stuff yeah. dissipates. That never changes. No, that, that never, that that never again changes. And again. Yeah, just, that, <laughs> As I'm other. also learning professionally with right. a lot of like jobs now. Like, you know, you leave a job Don't and people leave. Don't be a leave stranger. And, <laughs> <laughs> you know, stay in touch. Oh, for sure. But I will say that there's been a lot of... Like there's just a very few core people, even from that time in college, that I will still get together with, and we'll still hang out and still right. chat and have a great time. But it's because we've we sort of figured it out then, but we didn't realize we had figured it out until much later in life. Now, where we get back and we're like, you know what? Like I'm really glad that we had these agreements and we saw eye to eye mm-hmm. back then, because now we can actually get together and do more meaningful stuff, as opposed to right. like the competition or the bickering or the whatever. Like nice. So you yeah. Yeah. So you're you're really bringing it back to actually I think that that, that is the co- famous compatibility we're talking about right? exactly exactly so that's kind of how that endures that's how you see you know you're right um, there's some friends that I have um, from decades ago and some of them if we just managed to hook up one of the times I go back to Spain for example yep it's like we just you know the sentence you pick up right where you left off you actually yep. do right. And that's kind of, I think that's kind of how life tells you that, you know. Exactly. I mean, I have friends in Sweden right now that I get to see them once a year if I'm lucky, just because it's not exactly cheap to go from here to Sweden Mm, or anywhere else in the world. Um, But we definitely have those moments where it just like it picks right back up where it left off. And it's like we hadn't spent any time apart. But yet there's so much we have to catch up on. Right. Right. Well, and it's funny because now you mentioned this. Um, I was, when I go to Spain, so I'm from Spain. I I live here, um, but yeah. I go to Spain periodically. And there's some friends that never, ever, ever hang out until I show up. Right. And then they use me as an excuse to see one another. So sometimes I got to tell them, hey, I don't care. Mm-hmm. Like, you guys can see, you guys can meet up when I'm not here. So cut it out because they try to, <laughs> you know, use that time. But let me, t- let me bring you back to... Um, yeah, yeah, the yeah. trumpet. You're a tr- he's a trumpet player, so he's telling me about you know all my band stuff. But you're actually a real musician, and in fact, you have real is real is you know up to interpretation. As in, you've been taught music theory. You, yes, you know how to read music, like yep. all the stuff that now I have to go to YouTube to your tutorials to learn. <laughs> you you kind of know that, and not only that, I just want to say that I um, I envy you a lot because you also have a father who is I would have given anything for having an artist father. Um, because you know my, I've been artistic later in life, but um, tell me about um, your experiences as a trumpet player and uh, as a musician that knows, you know, did you, did you play in bands or? or I, I did. So I actually I grew up um, in a household that actually 
both of my parents, like you were saying, both of my parents actually played trumpet. Oh, and they were both that. musically inclined. Mm-hmm. And they both, you know, had been doing this for years and years and years. And so by the time I came around, that was just part of their normal routine. And so they would take me as a kid to go to rehearsals. And I was just always exposed to it and getting to see them perform and everything. And How young were you when you started doing that? When I started going to their performances, yeah, or, yeah, or even watching them rehearse, and like, if they couldn't find a babysitter, I was there. So from the, from the get go, that's the, awesome. The very beginning, yeah. Um, you know, they'd have to practice and everything, so there'd be times where I just hear them like off in the garage or wherever, and All right, yeah. they're practicing their stuff, and I'm getting to hear like the routine and the working through of it. So I, I got exposure to that. Um, really, really early in life, and when I got to a certain age, and I got into, I believe it was middle school or like the ages like grades six through eight or whatever it was mm-hmm. um and that was when i got to start being in band and so it was like all right well you're in band now what do you want to play obviously i wanted to play trumpet. i wanted to be like my parents so i wanted to play trumpet right and so i you know picked up trumpet and started i didn't want to be that. like my parents okay no but sorry yeah that's a story for another time (laughs) i I just had i I just couldn't let that fast right um but no i definitely wanted to i just grew up with it so i wanted to play too and plus it helped that my dad was actually like the predominant trumpet coach for the entire town that i was growing up oh nice so like he was the guy that people called up like hey can you teach my kid how to play trumpet I mean so people yeah. weren't surprised that you played trumpet I think it was almost expected like there was almost right and I I think this I can't think of a better way to say this but because of what my dad was and people knew him of especially anyone who was in the town in that community it was almost like a legacy thing like if I didn't play trumpet it was going to be weird mm-hmm. and if I wasn't good at it then it was going to be weird because he was also the trumpet <laughs> teacher <laughs> that was not always the case but I practiced you know mm-hmm. I tried to get there but there was when I got to that time of rebellious teen there were definitely times like are you practicing like I told you to <laughs> yeah totally <laughs> I, I didn't I didn't right. sorry dad I didn't practice as much as I should have but no there were definitely some really good moments with that so let me ask you this. Did you ever get like that callus that um, Louis Armstrong was famous for having on the upper lip? Like, do you get that? Is that something all the trumpet players get? Or I mean, I'm sure that all trumpet players could get that over time. And that's mostly just due to the pressure that you're putting on your upper lip. And a lot of that comes from trying to get like upper register stuff where you need to have like a lot of force behind everything that you're doing and just try and get as much power into that horn as you can. Wow. And so I never personally got that. I mean, I I had practiced enough to get a decent upper register. In fact, there was actually one time, this is like my all-time favorite moment of playing trumpet. Um, And, you know, I haven't played trumpet in a long time, regrettably. Probably something I should get back into at some point, Mm. just because, you know, I want to reconnect with it. But one of my favorite moments playing trumpet and this is something that has stayed with me for years and years and years and to the point where when I think about it and if I could ever find the recording again I would listen to it but you it, have that recorded it's recorded somewhere it's documented some big feet music. on oh, that's tape. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. and it exists somewhere it may be at my dad's house somewhere okay. but it's like an unmarked VHS tape of this uh, competition because I was in jazz band in high school Okay, and 
part of that was going to do these competitions, and there was one that we went to. I don't remember the school that it was, but I remember one of the songs that we were playing, playing lead trumpet, there was an opportunity to, if you could do it, and nobody expected it at this junior level, but if you could do it, there was an opportunity to play this one part, an octave higher, so an entire octave higher. Funny story is that it's actually written an octave lower. Okay. But that's because this rendition was written for players of a kind of a lower level. Uh, uh, learners. Exactly. Students. Okay. And so wow. I know that leading up to this, there had been many times where me and my fellow uh, first trumpet player, we had like tried because we were practicing. We, we were hotheads. We wanted to do it. Mm-hmm. And we were trying and trying and trying to do it. And every time we would try to do it in band practice, it just... <laughs> it would just sound... Horrible. Okay. So we were actually told to not do it. That's what I was going to say. That, that, right. That, that's what I would expect the teacher or the... Yeah. To. Yeah. Simon Austin, who was my trumpet teacher all through high school, um, he actually like pretty much t- straight up told us, like, just don't even try. And, like, we want this to sound good. And the last thing we want is for that to come out during the Because com- <laughs> right. it's a competition, you know? Right, right, So right. we don't want that to happen. You don't want to risk it. <laughs> but... Being the hothead that I was and feeling like because of my dad and just I, I felt like I had something I needed to prove. Yeah, this I had to good. try. <laughs> I had to try. And so I had to like when the time came, I looked at my, you know, my partner. I was like, you know, I gave him the eye. I was like, I'm, I'm going to do it. And he's like, no, no, don't do it. I was like, no, I'm going to do it. And the time comes and I just suck in as much air as I possibly can and I basically have to like just force everything I had into this one thing and the note comes and it's the build up do 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 and I just nailed it oh wow I absolutely nailed it there's like paint peeling off the walls because I just (laughs) bam nailed this thing and it was the only time the entire time I was um, underneath you know um, Simon Austin and teaching me that he like as he was directing looks directly at me and like (laughs) raises an eyebrow gives a little nod and keeps going and that was one of to my day to this day one of my proudest moments of doing it because I was like no I'm gonna do it and it was just like all the energy and excitement and just just really trying to make that happen but man, was I tired afterwards. That's, that sounds like a Mr. Miyagi moment right there. How so? Did you see the Karate Kid? Oh, I saw the Karate Kid. Do you kid. remember when he goes for the, what do you call it, like the... The crank? Or the, 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 crank the, the, the crank kick, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he looks at Miyagi, and Miyagi just nods like, like, go for it. Yeah. So that's kind of what it reminded <laughs> me of. I just, I just saw like a little animated gif of Mr. Miyagi going, Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> so let me ask you this: um, When you hit a note like that, is it true? Like, where do you get that strength? Where do you get all that energy? Is it from your diaphragm? Like, yeah, stairs, or yeah. No, it's a great question. Um, so I was always taught that in order to get that power, that it comes from the diaphragm specifically. So, like, you when you're drawing in air. I was always told to imagine like you're filling up your stomach first with air before you fill up your lungs. Mm. So you're just pulling it down and you're trying to fill up your entire chest cavity mm. and you're just using your diaphragm to like really squeeze that and pressurize it essentially and force that out. Okay. Nice. That's what I was always taught anyway. Okay. 
So I got a story for you. Do you? Yes. You know Dizzy Gillespie, right? I do know Dizzy, yeah. So he's still influential. I mean, well, I guess when you were starting, he was. Too. Oh, absolutely. He was definitely, like, if you want to know good jazz trumpet playing, listen to Dizzy. Listen to, it like, a couple of other artists. But, mm-hmm. yes, he was definitely brought up. The father of bebop. Yeah, the guy with yeah, the trumpet yeah. was he? He's the one that has the horn that like just shoots up like that, right? Yeah, he had the the bent bell at the end, right. and he was notorious for his cheeks. If you if you guys are familiar with jazz, or if you're not, you know, he's like the one trumpet player that has his cheeks balloon, like literally balloon <laughs> over. They just like grow enormously. Oh, it's so, true. He's like a pufferfish. Yeah, it's like a pufferfish, but only only right here in the face. What's that other bird? That, it's like a pelican. They just have like the oh, fingers. like the big the big gullet thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So sometimes. Like that and uh, I would have sworn I did not dream this because so I saw this interview with Dizzy Gillespie in Spanish television in the late 70s when I was are, a kid. Are you sure you saw this? Or well, I've never seen so here's the thing I've never seen it again, <laughs> I haven't seen it on YouTube or on the internet or anything. But I would have sworn I watched this interview with Dizzy Gillespie where they asked him about you know about the, his famous cheeks, cheeks puffing, yeah. puffing up, yeah. And they were asking him, you know, Mr. Gillespie, and I had to strain my ears because, um. There was like a voiceover in Spanish translating. Okay. And I wanted to hear Diz actually say like his actual words yeah, to it. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I was kind of straining underneath, but um, he really did say, they asked him, is it true that you get um, your air from the diaphragm? So wh- where do you get all that air that all of a sudden transforms your face mm-hmm. and uh, pretty much doubles its size? And Dizzy said, you know, it says it's not about the diaphragm at all. It's about something that most people don't think of. He says, I get my strength like everybody else does from the asshole. Yeah, he said that. He said that. Did I hear this correct? It's from the asshole? I don't know if he said the butthole or but He did. He, he was talking about, yeah, he was talking about the, yeah. You know, okay. the the, okay. the bottom sphincter, and no, seriously, and of course, you know, the the interviewer in Spain was, um, this is Spain, like we don't bleep out swear words, so you can yeah. actually talk like that. No, but he he was shocked because not because he he said that word, but because of you know, it seemed preposterous, and and he looked at him stunned, and uh, Desi continued to explain, you know, well, think about it. What is the first thing you do when you kneel to pick up a heavy weight from the floor? Mm-hmm. You tighten up your asshole. I, you know what? I guess that makes a lot of damn sense. Well, yeah. And, and I was just, I was totally stunned listening to this. I was going like, I can't believe you said that. And, and of course, then he just goes, he goes over to say that how his wife just, you know, started yelling at him when he got back home. He said, the one time you're on TV and you have, he says, well, it's true. You know? So, so I, I just wanted to ask you, you know, I mean, the, the story is great. I, again, I haven't seen this ever. I've been, you know, just looking through YouTube, Vimeo, what have you. Never mm-hmm. seen it again. Um, I don't know if just this was just recorded in that Spanish show. He was in Spain for the Vittoria Jazz Fest or one of those. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if just, you know, the archives weren't kept or something, you know, but I would have sworn I saw this. And I thought it was great because I love Dizzy Gillespie and I just love his deadpan humor. And, and I thought that was right. He was a really old then. Yeah, for know, sure. And he was just really funny. And, and I just thought it was a great story. And I was just, I wanted to ask you, what do you feel about that? Like when you think about playing the trumpet, like is that... Even though they told you you had to like fill in your stomach, do you think there's something <laughs> I mean, there? If I had to, you so know? if I go back to that story I was telling about like playing that note, I, I would say that yeah, probably I had to really pucker up 
down below before I could pucker up up here to just throw that one out there. I bet you that octave that you hit on that, you know, you had that had to do something with like the the bottom button, you know, <laughs> the uh, bottom button. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, come on. Like, I mean, I'm pretty sure I was turning coal to diamonds down there, but yeah, you know what I mean. Well, I'm, yeah, because I mean, otherwise you, you can't do, um, force has to come from somewhere. Right. You know, if you become a bazooka, then, you know, you can't, there's not like something, not much you can project <laughs> up front. Let's, let's stuff that analogy right there. I'm sorry. I just did. Uh, you know, I mean, hey, once, once you open that Pandora box, I think, you know. You're not wrong. Everything goes. So, but anyway, yeah, wrong. like, I, I would have sworn Dizzy Gillespie said this on Spanish television in mm -hmm. the late 70s, and um, I did not smoke pot then. I was barely 13. Right. So, and I remember being in. So, theoretically, it, it exists out there in the world somewhere. I wouldn't pass... Yeah, and then I thought about it because I didn't find it later in the internet, and I was thinking maybe I did imagine it, and I, I just... It, it kind of seems like something that you would say anyway, so it just, you know... Do you remember who was interviewing him? Or? Yeah, yeah. Um, I remember his name right now, but I know who he is, and he's a famous Spanish DJ at the time. Okay. There were three progressive Spanish DJs in the late 70s, so this is, you know... During Franco's dictator, at the end of Franco's dictatorship, so yeah. talking about jazz, hip jazz, and rock and roll was kind of new, yeah, and crazy. And there was only three DJs that did this seriously, mm -hmm. right, right, right. Uh, and they would bring, I mean, somebody that interviews Dizzy Gillespie on television is not just any music DJ, especially, right. especially back in that day. So I know exactly who it was. So do you think that was? Um I mean, listening to all of this, was that even like a source of inspiration for you back then? Because it sounds like this was before you really got into all your music stuff. But mm, yeah. yeah, I mean, not not far before, but before all of that, do you think that this story at all, or just anything like that, just knowing about jazz, served as like sort of an inspiration for, to help like get you more motivated into it? Or I, I think. Uh, or maybe even in hindsight? I think I was... Well, that's a good question. I think I was I was already inspired to want to do music. That's why I was watching that particular show, because it was the only one show in Spanish in all Spanish television that right. had any music of weight, let's call it. And I actually remember the name of the show. It's called Musical Express, which right. is spelled exactly the same in Spanish as in English, so I can pronounce it in English, and it's still... But it's, it's also in Spanish. It also means exactly okay. that, Musical yeah, Express. Yeah. It just sounds different, but it's the same words. Uh, sounds like a train to me. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, no, what I do remember, though, so it wasn't so much inspiration in music, I think, as it was per personally and in terms of personality. So what I remember thinking is, or feeling, rather, is here's this genius. It's very respected. He's respected because he's come there off the beaten path. Right. So he hasn't, you know, he, they didn't want to respect him. He just made himself. He, he earned that respect. Because bebop was considered noise at the beginning. It was in real jazz, you know. It was, right, right. You know, all the flat fifths and all that stuff. Or whatever it is that, you know. Um, so here's this genius, and he's human and irreverent. That's what I remember thinking. So I, I really did like that. Right. You know, and and I've liked that ever since, you know. Um, and you see that in, in lots of different things. It's just, you know, it's not just provoking for shock value just for the sake of... Exactly, but this is where you like... It's just, we're human and we talk about these things and, hey, think about it. It's just like sort of that like brutal honesty sort of thing. Well, no, it's and, just and, unfiltered. And the humor and, and the humor and the not caring about whether some people could get their knickers in a bunch, so to speak, <laughs> well, I mean, about yeah, a yeah. stupid anecdote and, and how how to deflate 
I really liked, okay, yeah, so I, I love the question because I really liked that this was a guy that was being treated like a Devo. And right. He, just, he brought it right back down. Yeah. yeah like, this is, I, putting yeah. him on a pedestal, and he's like, no, no, yeah. I'm just a regular guy. He's just this, Nothing you know? special. And he's like, hey, what do you do when you kneel down to lift a big <laughs> wave? Just think about it, you know? You tighten up. I just love that. You tighten up your asshole. So, you know, I just love that. And that really did inspire me. That I thought, you know, this is... Yeah. It's something. Yeah. Dizzy yeah. is definitely a big source of inspiration. Certainly one that I, you know, I, I, I latched on to as a kid uh, among a couple other folks. I mean, just to name a few personally, it would be like Doc Severinsen. He's okay. a big guy. Was he jazz too? Or? I don't oh, know him. Did, did, you, did you ever watch The Tonight Show band? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so he was, yeah. The, he was the Doc Severinsen and The Tonight Show band. Like, oh, okay, He was yeah. the director of that. And they did some just... Killed. Are we talking Johnny Carson? Sorry. Yeah. Okay, because this. Yeah. Okay, because all right. Because this pop culture I learned later. Like, yes. Yeah. But, but I mean, you did watch the Tonight Show, though. No, I didn't. That's what I'm saying. We didn't have that oh. in Spain. So when I moved here, I, I watched episodes of the Tonight Show. I became interested in it later. Yeah, but it was just afterwards. Yeah. So just okay. watching YouTube interviews of people that I like, and then I watched Johnny with them. You know? Yeah. And so that's kind of so. So Johnny Carson was nothing to me. Nor was neither was Dave Letterman and Jerry Leno for that matter. That's fair. I, I That's moved fair. to the states, so yeah. yeah. But yeah, I mean, for anyone out there who is either has played trumpet, is playing trumpet now, if you don't know Doc Severinsen. that's a big one you got to go check out. But my other big source of inspiration, um, like aside from all the jazz stuff, I mean, it's still jazz adjacent, I would say. But it was Chris Bodie, and so Chris Bodie is another trumpet player who. When he plays, it's like the antithesis of all this like other like harsh high notes, really like makes your skin crawl with how good it is. He's just like this smooth, buttery thing that he does with his playing. Mm-hmm. And so I always like when I was growing up, so that's why I asked, like, was hearing that um interview like if it influenced you at all, because that if I had heard that at a young age, that would have just like fueled the fire even more for me. How so personally. What, what exactly would have what, what? Well, because my, my parents were already playing trumpet. And so just yeah. hearing something like that and like, oh, my stodgy teacher is like, it comes from your diaphragm. And this guy comes out right. and he's like, no, yeah. actually, just uh, think about it. It comes from your asshole. <laughs> <laughs> like, well, all right. I mean, I, can, I like that a lot more. So it's just, that's that's where I was going with that one. Right. Chris Bodie, who's, who's, hey, sorry. No, no, no. So he's like... Um, Nobody get offended at me for saying this, but he's kind of like the Kenny G of trumpet players. Okay. <laughs> like smooth jazz sort of thing. Okay. Right. Yeah. Uh, and it's just, he just does a really good job of just making it smooth and buttery and just, just really good job. So when I was ever in band growing up, like that was always my thing. It was like, how do I take the smoothness of Chris Bodie and combine it with like the power of Doc Severinsen right. and then maybe trifecta that with like the, the notes and the punctuation of Dizzy. Mm-hmm. So then, are we talking about tone? tone well, yeah, so that's a great, actually, great question. Tone is a fantastic thing to consider with all of that, because without w- without the power and everything, you, you can't have the tone. And the tone is something that, actually, there's a story my dad told me one time when he was... Uh, you know, learning trumpet himself. And mm-hmm. he'd always heard about like perfect tone, perfect tone, perfect tone. You got to have perfect tone. And he's like, well, what does that even mean? Like to have perfect tone, right. like just to be on pitch? No, it, it's not necessarily on pitch, but think of like, um, think of the sound as a shape. And like, you just want this nice round 
experience, you know, you don't want like this block or mm-hmm. triangle or whatever coming out of it. You want this nice round, full experience. And so that's what he was always told, like, that's perfect tone, but he never really understood it mm-hmm. until one day he was at um, like a jazz concert outside, right? Mm-hmm. And I don't remember where this was. I don't remember the band he was saying, but I just remember him telling me the story uh, that really stuck with me of how he was watching this trumpet player play and because it was cold outside and you can see your breath. This guy was putting so much force and breath through his trumpet that you could see like the like the air, the steam or whatever mm-hmm. coming out of the end of his horn. Wow. And that's when my dad noticed that as he's watching this come out of his horn, there is actually a spiral that is happening because of the sound waves coming out. And it's this like perfect spiral coming out of the end, creating this cone oh, wow. of noise out of the end of the trumpet. It's coming like almost like an animation. Exactly. Kind of I mean, it was exactly like wow. an animation. Wow. I mean, it's like, you know, if you were looking at it dead on, it would almost be like one of those hypnotizing like spiral things that's mm-hmm. coming at you. And who is, who is this guy playing like that? Just a really good trumpet player. Just, I don't remember the, the player at this point. Was he semi-famous or was well, he? Was, just... He was very famous. Oh, okay. He was very well known. Okay. Um, but that was that was the day that my dad told me, like, stuck with him, like that. That's what perfect tone looks like. Wow. To like actually imagine it in your mind. That's what that is. Is this perfect spiral, this cone of sound that just kind of comes out from the horn. That's interesting because like in electric guitar for rock and roll, for example, tone is a little bit, in my opinion, is is more of a subjective, it's a subjective value. It's more about persona- the personality of your guitar tone. Sure. So when people talk about tone, it's, you know, does it, so I don't know, an example is uh, Dan from the Black Keys. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So it's yeah. a guitar, he, his guitar tone is very well crafted and he, he has different ones depending for but you know you, you listen to it and it just demands attention but that's kind of subjective because it's not a perfect you know I mean there's distortion involved there's do you think that that like the guitar tone like tone for each one of these things is it specific to the individual or specific to the guitar itself so that's a great and, and, well obviously how they match together but. that's a great question it's actually how they match together um, and I'm telling you this because um, I don't consider myself an expert there I'm kind of curious the right. concept of tone is elusive to me right you just explained it great for trumpet by the way but with guitar it's elusive because people talk about like yeah it's a whole different that guy has a great tone and, and you know like half of it is not you know it's, it's electronic right mm-hmm. so it's a mixture of both uh, it's a mixture of this is what I've gathered from people, you know, that I that I watch in interviews, and it's a mixture of the the instrument, mm-hmm. the amp, and the settings of the amp, and maybe you know if you have pedals and things that are modulating your wave, right, right, ways. right, and then it's the the strings, the girth of the strings have a cer- certain different tones. Interesting, I didn't know oh, that. Oh yeah, and then I'll, I'll give you an example in a second, and then the way the guitarist plays. Okay. So one of the things that I really, really love is I, I um, watched once Gary Moore. And um, I'm not exactly a fan of Gary Moore. I'm a huge fan of Thin Lizzy. But Gary's kind of... I like Gary as a person, but his his own solo work is... Sure. Yeah, that little, makes sense. You know, it's not, I think all that much... I mean, a I, lot of people like the Beatles, but they don't like the Ringo Starr solo stuff. So right, I love the Ringo Starr solo. I don't like, <laughs> I don't like McCartney's stuff, but I, but I think he's really good. It's uh, Yeah, so... Yeah. So, you know, Gary sometimes has like, 
like too long operatic stuff that I don't particularly subscribe to, but he has okay. brilliant stuff too that I really like. Um, but one thing that I love is I saw him once um, talking about a, a, a guitar. It was like a guitar shopping, you know, kind of guitar review by Gary Moore. Sure. Like, how do you pick a guitar? And he's holding this amazing Gibson Les Paul, if any of you play guitar. Um, <laughs> and the first thing he does is he goes, like, this is the first thing I do. And he starts playing it unplugged. Okay. And then he goes, he just hits a chord and he stops. And he waits till the the ring dies down. Right. Of the unplugged electric guitar. So this is like a pring, you know, yep. pring, and then he just, and he goes, this is a good guitar. It has the sustain. So that's part of home. So he could, he could tell that before plugging it in there. It's an electric guitar. So it's not acoustic. So we're not getting like the, right. The fullness of the sound or anything, but just from like how it sounded just from plucking a string. Correct. Okay. Because it's the combination of strings and the wood. If the wood is really good material, if the design oh, body is really okay, well okay. built, and this is, um, I've heard, is a lot more uh, important in in the famous violins. You know, the Stradivarius and all that oh, yeah. uh, flamenco yeah. guitars that you have to wait for the wood to age so that the the notes carry around the wood a lot better. So it's not just well, that, that, and even like sometimes the the resin coating that goes around it to help preserve it. Like everything. even that can make a big difference too. Everything, all the materials, everything. So there's that. There's the strings. Um, they say that Stevie Ray Vaughan had uh, used the third string of his guitar. He used a banjo string. <laughs> Which, because it has Does that a lot, make a big difference? A lot, it has a deeper tone, but the thing is you have to have the fingers of the Incredible Hulk to bend that thing. <laughs> and, which he did. I mean, you know, if, if you see a, a, a guitar on Stevie Ray... trying there's... to imagine the Incredible Hulk playing like, this <laughs> yeah. little tiny guitar. Like, pew, 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 pew. Well, here's, here's a different story. And don't, <laughs> let me, don't let me ramble on about this, but here's an interesting story. So you know ACDC, right? Yeah, yeah. So Angus Young, everybody's familiar with Angus Young, the, the crazy lead oh, guitarist. Yeah. Angus Young is a very petite guy. He's a very small guy. And he plays a, a Gibson SG, this Gibson guitar that was made for students. So it's a smaller, light build, lighter built guitar. And um, Frank Zappa's famous son, Dweezil Zappa, who's an amazing guitarist, he also plays a Gibson SG, as did his father. He mentions one time how... He wondered where Angus Young was getting these huge Gibson SGs <laughs> until it dawned on him that he's just talking about a smaller framed guy. So the guitar looks a lot bigger on him. Right. So Stevie Ray, if you look at him, you know, a, a pretty big Fender Stratocaster doesn't look that big on him. And he's got a big strong Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. So that gives him an extra tone. But of course, you know, it's a, it's a string that's more like a, almost like a metal wire, you know, like a thick metal wire. Yeah. So it's a lot it's a lot girthier and you know, then there's people like Billy Gibbons from ZZ Top famously has very, very light gauge. Right. So he could just bend all the way out of the but he compensates that because that has a lot less tone. He compensates that I guess with electronics and with the way he plays. So is tone then for guitar different from style, like the style that someone plays. I think so, but it's a, the personality of how your sound is, I guess okay. is what I'm saying, versus the perfection of how you hit notes, which right. is what you were, were saying. Right, right, right. So I think it's, does it have personality? When you listen to a guitar... Yeah. For a brass instrument, it really is about like that. Right. Like the, the, the force that you put into it. Right. As opposed to, it sounds like with guitar, like it's more personality mixed with a slew of other things. Well, I mean, it, obviously, it, like, with the trumpet, there's still it matters. I was going like, to say. Like, trumpet and, like, the material it's made out of and right. all that. If you, yeah, if you have, like, a crappy trumpet, you're going to get worse tone. 
Right, right, right. And I guess with electric guitars, the materials play in so much. Well, and with guitar or piano, you know, if you have a crappy piano, mm-hmm. tone goes out the window. Uh, if you have a really good, the famous Stain, Stainway Grand or Steinway Grand? Steinway, yeah. The Steinway Grands, you know, with the Petroffs. You just like hit a note and then you can just walk away and the note's still ringing while you're going to the car, you know, mm-hmm. that, that kind of stuff. So that plays in a lot. But yeah, no, I can see that where the more acoustic the instrument, the more it pivots on how the musician plays. Right. But you still can't, you know, it's a combo of both. Okay, so let me let me ask you this then. Do you think that somebody playing guitar or any instrument really, um, when they're seeing like sort of the predecessors that came before them and they're trying to like build off of stuff and they go, oh, that's an inspiration, that's inspiration, that's inspiration. What do you think it takes for them to now say, I really like what they do, but I want to make it my own thing and like draw from that inspiration. Like, do you think that that serves a big purpose? Um, like in all of this, like trying to make your own noise mm-hmm. or your own way that you do it by drawing inspiration from like those that came before you, even those that are around you like right now. I mean, I, th- I think it's impossible not to draw inspiration from your surroundings, right? Right, right. I mean, everybody that is an artist, I think, draws from somewhere. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, no, I don't think... Um, I think it, I, I've... We've heard this in other things, not just in art, but, you know, it's... You find uniqueness when you practice a lot. Right. So, at first, you learn from the greats. I mean, that, I guess that's... Um, well, you sort of, like, find something you like and go, I want to do that, so you imitate it, right? Right. You and have try to, to get it as somewhere. close as possible. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then over time, you kind of, you know, it's like, I don't know, I think um, I think I heard somewhere that Elvis Presley was modeling himself after Dean Martin at first. Really? You know, but he was doing bluesy stuff, so of course, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. And he was really good at it, and then he developed this other stuff. Um, I don't know, another example, um, Thin Lizzy. You familiar with Thin Lizzy? I am, yeah. Metal band from Ireland. They started, you know, trying to sound like Hendrix. Really? Yeah, and if you just listen to the first stuff, you know, actually Phil Lynott kind of looks a little bit like him. Okay, so like uh, just the very beginning of Thin Lizzy, like if you go back and listen to it. Yeah. Okay. They're a, tri- a trio, sorry, they're a trio at first. The first <laughs> guitarist that they had played with Wawa, you know. Yeah, yeah. They're trying to do all these like Hendrixy stuff, and then over time, you know, they just developed this other like harmony guitars that sound like bagpipes, and they incorporated the Celtic stuff. Mm-hmm. Their first big hit was Whiskey in the Jar, and they didn't want to do that. Oh, man, Whiskey in the Jar. That is such a good song. They did not want to do it because to them it's like the pop song that everybody does in Ireland. They're Irish and they're trying to be rockers in the 70s. So they're just messing Man. around in the studio and one of the producers hears them and goes like, let's, let's, and they're like, are you kidding? And like, no, seriously, give this a shot. And then they hit the charts. That they, producer was absolutely right. And it's still played as a pop song to this day, every St. Patrick's Day. But in four, every bar. What, the Thin Lizzy one? Well, maybe not the Thin Lizzy version, that, but well, that, that, that's, that's what song. I'm saying. It's a really popular song. So Thin right. Lizzy wanted to be rockers. They wanted to break yeah. away. Yeah. So doing Whiskey in the Jar for them was like, what? Right. And But because they could do it so well, because they're so familiar with it, they were like, in, in the key of rock, they were the first ones to do that. Okay, interesting. So that's kind of what, they were just, it wasn't in the key of rock. They were just playing with the electric guitars and the drum set. Well, yeah, as opposed to like yeah. the traditional instruments. Yeah, whatever. and so they just started doing it in the studio because they were bored during the rehearsal. And this producer, I think, came down with like, guys, we have to cut this. And they were like, no, we don't. And he says, well, just give it a shot. And that's when they hated it. And they had been, I think they were going to get fired from their label. Really? Because they weren't getting there. They, they were not hitting the charts or something like that. So right, yeah. right, right, right. St. Lizzie. 
It's really interesting. Yeah, just that whole concept of like drawing inspiration from the stuff that comes before you or all of that, like that, that really just hits home with me and actually kind of ties things together uh, from what we were talking about when we first started today. It was like that whole human connection thing of like trying to bring it all full circle of how people kind of work together. And that even extends beyond the interactions we have on a daily basis. It's the impression that you leave behind Mm -hmm. based on your actions. And so seeing that is really cool. Like I always wonder, like talking about Dizzy, what what was Dizzy um, influenced by? Like what were the big things for Dizzy to like go out and look through as he was coming up and be like that? That is something that I really appreciate, and I can I can go with that. I watched this um, famous documentary that uh, Ken Burns, a famous documentary. Oh, Ken Burns, yeah, yeah. So he had a series he did like I don't know ten years ago called Jazz. It's amazing. Yeah. Because uh, I wasn't that hip to jazz, I kind of liked it, but I didn't know all that much, and I just watched the whole series. I loved it. And they were talking about how Dizzy Gillespie had been, you know, because he was like kind of ahead of his time and he introduced bebop, which was kind of a revolution within jazz. Oh, yeah. Because it was weird jazz back then. You know, it was like hip jazz or whatever. Yeah. And um, and he had been always like making fun of, of uh, Louis Armstrong and kind of like rejecting all the previous Really? Making jazz. fun of Louis? Dude, it's on YouTube. You can. I think there's some there's some clips out there. I got some research. You, to do. you should watch it. He's actually yeah, yeah. He's actually sing, playing like him and kind of acting, and he does like a whole handkerchief thing. And he just got this. <laughs> you know, Dizzy was really funny. Did he do the and, voice too? Yeah, 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 yeah. He's really funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's, yeah. It's very clear, you know that. Kind of, and uh, and then he does the trumpet like him too, which is great. And he kind of made fun of him, you know. It's like I don't know. It's um. I don't know if he, how bad he attacked it, but I had, you know, in the documentary they talk about he, he rejects him quite a bit. Right. And he rejects all that kind of what he considers maybe submissive jazz to the, you know, like, you know, to the uh, almost Uncle Tom-ish type of sure, jazz kind sure. of thing. I think it, it kind of goes in that direction. Yeah. And then at the end of his life, um, he just came back around no, I guess you get wiser when you get older. And he, he mentioned something yeah. I really like. He said, no him, no me. Really? So he, he gave him props at the end, you know, after all. Then, yeah, <laughs> and it's true. I mean, like, where do you think Dizzy would have come up with something if Shatmo wouldn't have taken jazz? Where I mean, I mean, no, I mean, that that's the reason I ask is because that's a great example of, like, you, you we build off of each other, right? Yeah. And so it's just this whole legacy thing of, like, it, it, human association and this connection it goes beyond the day to day stuff I know that's the easiest one to compare it to mm-hmm. but really trying to like take it all home it's this this whole legacy of just human creativity and creation and like the legacy we leave behind for other people to see mm-hmm. and that that's truly like how we sort of like help each other and build each other up but I, I love also the you're right but I, I love also the refreshing part of Every generation kind of has to break a little bit with. So it, oh, of course. There's, there's still. They don't want to just completely retread it. Like it has to be right. different. There, it has to be renovated, right? But right. so, and, but they're still like drawing from it. So that's what I like about the Dizzy um, sentence. Is at the end he admits he says, "Absolutely, I drew, I drew from yeah. what this guy built, yeah. but I had to, I had to twist it around." You know, I like that. So I actually think that's that's a really good note to kind of close on. Know him, know me, and just sort of. What does that mean for all of us?